0: Amen. Wow. I don't know about you, but I just almost think God needs a hand for that song. That's amazing. Uh, Just praise the Lord. So, so good. So, so good to be in this place. And it's so good to see uh, some faces that we haven't seen in a while. I'm so, I'm just thrilled that you're here. Um, and, And thank you for being with us. And we still have some folks joining us online. We're so glad that you're here as well. Uh, it's been amazing, really. I've uh, been spending quite a bit of time in the Welcome Center these last several weeks and just to see how the Lord has been working through relationships and through technology. had an incredible conversation with a couple earlier that decided to move here and bring their children here because they felt so drawn by the Holy Spirit to come and be part of this church. And that's a testimony to you, uh, church, uh, your, your love, your desire for Jesus, uh, your hope, the purpose is you walk alongside people and try to help them live into that. And I'm just, uh, I'm just praising God and how awesome it is to be part of this incredible church family. We have so many new folks who have come our way. Your first question might be where do I start? Well, I want to encourage you, first of all, if you haven't done this, download the church app. And you can see information there on how to text um, to 77977 uh, AM Church app and uh, download that on your phone. Um, also, the very first place to start, if you, if you don't know where to start, always think about starting in the Welcome Center. That is the, the best place to go to get information, to start building connections and relationships. And we could use volunteers in that Welcome Center as well to help put names and faces together and help uh, people find places to plug in. Um, I think this has been a pretty incredible week. Um, Not necessarily in in good ways, right? It's been a very difficult week. If ever we need Jesus, wouldn't you say, church, surely it's right now? I mean, if ever we need Jesus, surely it's right now. Now, There are things that are happening internationally. I've just been reading over the last few days that uh, Russia is building up troops on Ukraine's eastern border. Ukraine is very important. to the world, but this church, for sure, we just have, a, Ukraine has a very special place in our hearts, so we're going to hope it's just a silly flexing of muscles, and that's all it is, um, but just pray, pray God's protection over the country of Ukraine, and pray that um, the lies of Satan will not gain uh, a foothold in the minds and the hearts of, of people, and of course, we've had a very difficult week here. Uh, anytime that we think that violence taking matters into our own hands is going to be the, the way to solve our our ills, obviously we 're very sadly mistaken. So I just want to take a few moments as we begin this morning. I want us to pause and I just want us to pray uh, specifically for some people in our community who are hurting and let 's um, center our minds and our thoughts here and know that the text we 're going to be in today, will hopefully cause us to want to continue to love people well in the name of Jesus and show a very different alternative than taking matters into our own hands. So would you pray with me? Father, we um, just have uh, heavy hearts this morning. Um, We hear about um, people taking matters into their own hands and using all kinds of, the weapons and methods and means um, to hurt others. And so Father this morning we pray for those who um, family members and friends and co-workers, neighbors who are just wrestling with the reality that that um, someone they love is not coming home, not coming back to work They're not going to celebrate anniversaries and birthdays and holidays and homecomings. So God, we just pray today, we pray for the family of uh, Timothy Smith, we don't know him, perhaps somebody in this room knew him, but generally as a church, we don't know him personally, but this this 40-year-old man who who died from his wounds, we we pray, Father, for his family, we pray for Trooper uh, Juan Tovar, who's recovering, and others, Father, who are hospitalized and healing. We pray for the owners and for the employees of Kentmore Cabinets and their many relationships with customers and vendors and friends. We pray, Father, for protection for our city, for our state, for our nation, for our world, Father, against those who believe the lies of Satan and feel the only viable outcome is destruction. Father, we pray that our eyes and our ears, the eyes and the ears of the world are open to living water and to light, His name is Jesus, help us, Father, to, to bear witness to how incredible it is when we truly and fully give our hearts to him. We love you, Lord, and in Jesus we pray, amen. Thank you for joining me in that prayer. Let's keep praying and let's keep loving well. In Jesus' name. We're in week two of a two-week series entitled, If Then. Last week, I mentioned that there are dozens, possibly hundreds, of if-then statements throughout Scripture. And sometimes we see these if-then statements very clearly in Scripture. One of the most famous passages that we're aware of these days is 2 Chronicles 7.14, if My people who were called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. A very special message from God to his chosen people, Israel. Sometimes one or both of these words are not in a verse together, but they're most definitely uh, implied. We noticed last week For instance, verses like John chapter 13, uh, 34 and 35, a new command I give you, Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, here's the inferred then, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And as we noticed last Sunday from our sermon in Romans chapter six, verse eight, now if we died with Christ, then we believe That we will also live with him. So, the truth is, there are many if then scenarios in Scripture, and I believe it's because there are many if then scenarios in life. And the range of if then scenarios, if you think about it, the range is incredible. I mean, just think about the spectrum. Something as simple as hey, if the kids can join us for lunch, then we got to choose a place to go. Go all the way to the opposite end of the emotional spectrum. If the diagnosis is cancer, then we're going to have to figure out a course of treatment. Isn't it amazing if you think about it? But as we noted last week, all of these if-then possibilities, no matter where they fall on the spectrum, all of these if-then possibilities are recontextualized as disciples of Jesus Christ if we believe the following if we believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and then that changes everything amen it changes everything and not only does it change everything but as disciples of Jesus Christ it changes changes the way that we view everything and every one and every situation that i find myself in no, no matter what it is if Jesus Christ is the raised son of God, then I view everything in my life radically differently. One of the most amazing thens that results from the resurrection of Jesus Christ is how we see other people, and not just how we see them, but how we treat them. Whether it's a dating relationship or a work relationship or a marriage, whatever it is, fill in the blank. We treat people differently because we believe in Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord. How we respond to people. How we pray for people. So much more. We'll talk a little bit more about that next Sunday. Today I want us to examine another amazing then that results from... Jesus' resurrection from the dead, and that is how we see him, how we see Jesus himself. And not just how we see him, but how we treat him, how we respond to him, how we pray for his truth to reign in our hearts, and how we understand him. So our text today is John chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. Before we read that text, I want to talk a little bit about the context because I think it really helps us understand what's going on here. Jesus is most likely teaching here on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Now I'll talk a little bit more about that feast here in just a few moments. It's a little tricky. The Greek is a little bit tricky, and there's this other story that's interjected about a woman who is caught in adultery, but, but there seems to be a, a connection between what we see in John chapter seven, where we clearly know that Jesus is teaching during the Feast of Tabernacles, and what's happening here in John chapter eight, as he seems to be engaging the same audience. In John chapter seven, verses 37 through 39, Jesus makes a very bold claim. I am the source of living water. In John chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Now, we hear those statements. I am the source of living water. I am the light of the world. And and for us, it it really isn't very easy to understand any type of a greater connection to our own history. But when Jews hear these statements, they knew immediately the gravity of the claim that Jesus is making, especially given that the Feast of Tabernacles is going on. Jesus uses the light and water symbolism of the Feast of Tabernacles to claim I am the Messiah. Water and light are central to the Feast of Tabernacles. We even know what time of the year this is taking place. It's in the fall of the year. During the dry season, that's why water is so important. Uh, The Jews are remembering their ancestors who wandered in the wilderness. And during that time, they lived in tents or booths or tabernacles. Today it's called the Feast of Sukkot. And actually there's a picture here of a modern Jewish family who constructed a temporary structure in their backyard and they're celebrating together the Feast of Tabernacles. Light was also very important to this feast, and I love how the Mishnah, which is an ancient Hebrew commentary, describes what's going on as people are experiencing this, this glorious description of water and light ceremonies, and these these commentaries make this observation, whoever has not seen these things has never seen a wonder in his or her life. I'm not even sure what I can equate it to maybe a festival that we attend where it's loud and boisterous and there's lots of flashing lights or bright lights and and, and this air of celebration of of what's going on in and around us. Um, The best I could find is how Gary Burge describes it in his commentary when he writes four large stands. Each held four golden bowls. These 16 golden bowls, they were so high up, they were reached by ladders, were filled with oil. When they were lit at night, so the rabbis said, all Jerusalem was illuminated. In a world that did not have public lighting after dusk, this light shining in Jerusalem's yellow limestone walls must have been Spectacular. Choirs of Levites would sing during the sliding while men of piety and good works danced in the streets, carrying torches and singing hymns. So if this is where Jesus is on this last day of the tabernacles, envision him standing beneath these sixteen lighted bowls and saying to them, "Not only am I the light of Jerusalem, I am." The light to the entire world. John records in chapter 8 and verse 30 that even as Jesus spoke, many believed in him. Now this is a pretty critical phrase. Because there's a very subtle shift that's about to take place in the next verse. Verse. And I want you to see these two side by side. You see John 8.30 and John 8.31, and it's very subtle. There's one phrase that's just slightly different. Do you see it? You see it there in the text? Let me help you out a little bit. Go to the next slide. Even as he spoke, verse 30, many believed in him. Verse 31, to the Jews who had believed him. Do you see the difference? There is a difference here because believing Jesus is not the same thing as believing in Jesus. If you believe Jesus, then you think that his words are truth, most likely. But if you believe in Jesus, then you know that he is truth. See the difference? Let me illustrate it this way. And I don't want to embarrass one of my brother's but I'm gonna risk it this morning, okay? Rex Warden is my mechanic. Some of you know Rex, know his family. When I take my car to Rex and I say, Rex, it's making a funny noise. I need you to take a look at it. And he's gonna text me back later and he's gonna say, yeah, this is the problem. I believe him. I believe him. I believe what he tells me. Problem is, I believe that is actually the problem. Problem. I also believe that if there was something else wrong with the car, that I could totally, fully trust him. I believe in him. Does that make sense? I could leave my car with this brother and I could leave a blank check with him and I could trust that he's going to fix what's broken and do it right and he's gonna be completely honest with me. Rex, I think I probably just got you a whole lot more business, okay? But do you see the difference? You know what I'm talking about, right? There are Jewish people here who believe in God. They may even believe the words that are coming out of Jesus' mouth, but they don't yet believe in him. The call of the text today is to believe in him, to trust him, every aspect of him as Messiah. And if, if we believe in him, That changes everything. Please keep that in mind as we dig into the text. Let's look in John chapter 8, beginning at verse 31. To the Jews who have believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. As I said earlier, if-then statements aren't always easy to spot, but in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, the structure is quite obvious. Jesus says here, if you live in my teaching, literally in the Greek, it says, if you abide in my word. We could put all kinds of phrases with this. If you take up residence in my words, if you build your house on the solid foundation of my words, if you live into my teaching, Then you are my disciples. It's one thing to be attracted to the teachings of Jesus, but it's something completely different to live in his teaching. Let me illustrate it this way there was an atheist who was hiking in the woods. He was enjoying the beautiful world around him, marveling at how powerful evolution was to give us all of this beauty. As he was walking along the trail, all of a sudden, a family of bears came onto the path and Mama Bear began barreling toward him. And he cried out, God, help me. And time stopped. The bear was in some sort of suspended animation. The birds had stopped singing. The breeze had stopped blowing. And there was this voice from heaven that said, all these years, you have denied my existence, going so far as to tell others that I'm not real. But now, when all hope seems lost, you cry out for help? Are you saying that face with your own mortality, you're ready to be a Christian I see your point, the atheist said. That does seem very hypocritical. Might it be too much to ask that instead of making me a Christian, you make the bear one? And God replied, so be it. Time resumed and the bear kept charging. But when it was only a few feet away, it stopped and it sat down. And it gathered its cubs and bowed its head and said, Lord, we thank you for this meal we are about to receive. Okay. Probably not the funniest joke in the world, but hopefully you get the point. Anybody, anybody can call on God, but it doesn't make you a disciple, right? Discipleship is not about convenience, Discipleship is about character. It's about character formation as as character is formed in us through abiding in his word. It is a commitment to follow Jesus and obey him at all costs. Ken Blanchard, he's a noted leadership guru, but he also happens to be a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. You may not know that. Puts it this way. He says, when you are interested in doing something, keyword there, interested, you do it only when it's convenient. But when you are committed to something, you accept no excuses, only results. That's what Jesus is calling disciples to understand, and to commit to. Look at the then that follows the if for those who abide in his word. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I love what Leon Morris says about these verses. The truth of which John writes is the truth that is bound up with the person and work of Jesus. It's the truth that saves people from the darkness of sin People do not always or even usually realize that they are in bondage. They tend to rest in some fancied position of privilege, national, social, or religious. So these Jews, proud of their religion, did not even know their need to be free. Wow, doesn't that sound familiar? People all over the world who are slaves to sin, and many don't even have conscious awareness that this is not how it's supposed to be. And they rebel and they push back. And, 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 and we're enamored with this idea of freedom, this word freedom, right? I mean, we love freedom. Think about all of the stories where there's this oppressor who is taking freedoms away and, and people fight back against the oppressor and they claim their freedom. We live in a country, the, the home of the free, right? So, so we get this idea of freedom or if we don't fully get it, we want to get it. You know, many of us remember the movie Braveheart years ago where at the end of the movie, William Wallace cried out at the hand of his oppressor, freedom! You remember that? Freedom. I mean, what if he had said, blueberries! I, that would be nonsensical. It would not have resonated with us at all. But he screams freedom, and all of a sudden, we're all ready to leave the theater and go attack the British, right? I mean, that's, that's the power of that word freedom it, it, it means something to us but I think we are oh boy I think there's a gross misunderstanding today of what it means to be free in Christ even these Jews when they're confronted with the, the truth they they get defensive same thing happens today right If we start to talk to someone about a relationship with Christ or what it means to be in the kingdom of Christ, sometimes people get defensive. Sometimes they push back. We see it right here in this text. They answered him, well, we're we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Now, just as you look at that verse, do you see what happens here? We have never been slaves to anyone. Um, uh, Egypt, Babylon, Assyria, Rome. Isn't it funny how quickly we forget? Jesus doesn't dive into a history lesson. He doesn't bring this up. Instead, he, he points to a deeper truth, a truth that he wants them to understand, that rejection of Messiah is to Is to die of thirst, spiritually speaking. Rejection of Messiah is to live in darkness, spiritually speaking. Remember, he's, he's teaching the Feast of Tabernacles. And water and light are central to what he's trying to get them to understand. John tells us that Jesus replied. Very truly, I tell you, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Free indeed. What an amazing statement. What an amazing claim by the Son of God. What an amazing verse. And what a spiritual reality in Christ that is so easily abused. When we believe Jesus, it's so easy to compartmentalize his teachings and, and do things our way when it suits our needs. But when we believe in Jesus, church family, that's a that's a game changer. NT Wright observes Christianity is all about the belief that the living God in fulfillment of his promises and as the climax of the story of Israel has accomplished all of this. The finding, the saving, the giving of new life in Jesus. He has done it. With Jesus, God's rescue operation has been put into effect once and for all. A great door has swung open in the cosmos, which can never again be shut. It's the door to the prison where we've been kept chained up. We are offered freedom, freedom to experience God's rescue for ourselves, to go through the open door and explore the new world to which we now have access. And I think he's spot on. But I read his insights through this lens, through this truth that we all know all too well, and that is that Satan is very, very good at what he does. Freedom doesn't mean I can do whatever I want and Jesus just smiles and says, it's okay, I forgive you. That's not freedom. That's a gross misunderstanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And ironically, religious idolatry can have the exact same impact because in this text, Jesus is interacting with deeply religious people who undoubtedly love God. I, I think these are people who undoubtedly love the word of God. But they've become so enamored with their religion that they can't see the Messiah that their religion points to standing right in front of them. And we can do the same thing today. If not from an overzealous uh, commitment to our traditions, then possibly by over-relying on integrating secular models into how we do church. And I, I fear that we are paying a great price as a result been turned on this new author recently, Dr. Michael Zweigel. He wrote a great book called Retro Christianity. I would encourage you to check it out. Earlier on Twitter this week, he posted, Theology 101, if you run your church like a business, don't be surprised if your members complain like customers, then go shop somewhere else. Whew. Pretty straightforward and could also be inverted. If we treat the church like a business, then we can come and go as we please. But if we see church, family, through the power of the resurrection, Lord, that's a game changer. Dr. Zweigel doesn't mince words. Jesus doesn't mince words. We see as we continue through the passage, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Later on, he's actually going to tell them their father is Satan. Wow, that's a little in your face. Oh, and here it comes, an if-then statement that is one of the most direct in all of the teachings of Jesus. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. So what did Abraham do? Well, lots of things. But above all else, he was the instrument of God's redeeming covenant with Israel. He was the first person in the Old Testament, at least in the context of covenant, he was the first person to open the door for the Messiah. Abraham opened his heart to God. Your hearts, Jesus says here to those in his audience, your hearts are close to God. If you want to be my disciple, then open your heart to God. When we open our hearts, we open our minds to an incredible reality. Here's part two of the N.T. Wright quote that I started earlier. We're all invited, he writes, summoned actually, to discover through following Jesus that this new world is indeed a place of justice and spirituality, relationship and beauty. And that we are not only to enjoy it as such, but to work at bringing it to birth on earth as it is in heaven. In listening to Jesus, we discover whose voice it is that has echoed around the hearts and minds of the human race all along. And I pray you believe in that. I pray you believe in him. I don't want to make points today. I don't have three points in a poem. I just want to ask you to process a few questions with me as we wrap up. First, do you believe Jesus? More importantly, do you believe in Jesus? Are you living in his word or are you relying on a religious resume? And is your heart open to God to join him in covenant as a disciple of his son? If the answer to these questions is yes, if the answer to these questions is yes, then let's make sure that we are listening to the right voice, the one who satisfies our thirst, And the one who lights our way in a world filled with darkness. Because that's the voice that sets us free indeed. After we wrap up this morning, I'm going to be back in the Welcome Center. I would love to have a conversation with you, a prayer with you. Especially if you would like to engage in a Bible study or you have a desire to be baptized. Or if something's going on, you just need to be connected with somebody. that can love on you well in Jesus' name. And uh, I'm just going to invite you to meet me back there. Our elders will be back there as well as some other folks who are helping uh, just, just love people well. We're going we're to share a song together. This message is yours. I uh, pray you have an incredible week um, being the hands and feet of Jesus. Let's, let's stand together.